May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. First of all, good morning, everybody, and my apologies for coming to you in this particular format. This wasn't my intention or hope for this opening weekend. Now, as a young guard in my early 20s, oh, two or three years ago, perhaps, I was on duty one of those long midweek night shifts, driving aimlessly around as one does. At around 2am in a housing estate in Lower Ballyfermot, I came across a chap who seemed to be up to no good. Being the naturally suspicious type that I was as a guard, I got out and questioned him and he gave me details which on the surface appeared correct, but I wasn't happy with the story he provided. So I decided to arrest him for a drug search. Now in those days, a drug search was a tactic we used to give us a little bit more time to check into somebody's background in certain circumstances. This was in the days before online photo or online ID. So you can imagine establishing somebody's details is quite difficult. He had no ID in them, so he was taken back and taken away for a drug search. In the meantime, I checked his details and I checked the warrants register to see if there were warrants in existence for this guy. As it turns out, the details he provided checked out on paper and there were no warrants in existence. The drug search was also negative. So very reluctantly, we were forced to let him go. So he was taken back to the custody area and given back his property. And as is required by law, he was asked to sign the custody record in acknowledgement that he received his property back. As he was gathering up his things, I decided to glance at the custody record and guess what? He had signed his real name. Of course, there were several warrants in existence for him and he was promptly rearrested and placed in custody. Criminals, not the brightest bunch. Now as humans, identity is a very big part of who we are. It defines us and we all have a self-image and that image may be linked to family, to friends, to job, or even in some cases, to politics. But for us here at CITI, our identity is firmly linked to a belief in God and a call from our Saviour, Jesus Christ. At this point, you're probably still wondering, how did I get here? Because I sure was. My introductory weekend was pretty much a blur and reality didn't really set in until Monday morning. Lectures came thick and fast, and then there was a chapel rota, and we were required to perform services. Welcome to training for ministry. Now God's call comes to us in the most unexpected of ways, and each of us came to ministry by a different route. God often speaks to us through the actions of others, but one must be open in the first place to listen for his voice. In Genesis, Moses heard God's call and he does everything he can to get out of his calling. I'm not an eloquent man, he says. Lord my God, please send someone else. But God's not listening. And Jeremiah, who we meet in today's reading, also railed against being a prophet. Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But God simply says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And when Jesus first sent out the twelve, 
he told him, Take no gold, take no silver, take no bag, no change of shirt or sandals. Jesus was an excellent leader. He was an enabler. He meant for the apostles to perform their ministry on faith, to grow into it. No doubt they were terrified at the beginning, but Jesus knew this and was preparing them for ministry from the very start. And of your calling, you may still have misgivings. But there's a notice on the notice board, which has been taken away for painting, by the way, and will be restored. And that notice says, God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. The Jesuit James Martin says of calling, God meets us where we are. In other words, he meets us on our own ground, in our own space, on our own terms. There's an incredible comfort in knowing that. And you can take solace from the fact that very few people here believe that they're good enough to be called to ministry. We all have our doubts. And I guess that's the beauty of ministry. It begins with hope. It requires faith. It blossoms through a trust in God and a belief that God knows best. If God is indeed an enabler, you can be rest assured he'll give you the tools you need to perform his task. And that's why we're here. Despite all our faults and our shortcomings and our insecurities, which we know very well. And as good Anglicans, we even have an article for that. See Article 26. But it's through embracing our human identity and acknowledging our pure humanity that we're best equipped to minister to others. In this, I'm reminded of the words of Desmond Tutu, who said, It is through weakness and vulnerability that most of us learn empathy and compassion and discover our souls. But what does that vulnerability, that humility, look like in action? How do we incorporate those qualities into our ministerial identity? What shape does this ministry that we are called to take? Well, I think Bishop Burroughs put it best when he called it a ministry of accompaniment. In ministry, we are there to keep those in our charge always oriented towards God. Isn't that the first part of the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the first and greatest task. And for us and the task before us, our inspiration is in our relationship with each other. And with that same risen Christ nurtured in us, by the Holy Spirit. That inspiration to take up our cross, that weighty task which demands so much, but which gives so much more. When I think of accompaniment, I'm reminded of the road to Emmaus. This was a low point for the apostles. They'd lost their confidence, they'd fled, and they were in hiding. 
They didn't believe that they could continue Jesus' ministry without him. They felt lost and inadequate and ill-equipped. They felt alone. But on the road, they rediscovered their faith in an encounter with the same risen Lord, and through table fellowship with each other, and through prayer, they were inspired to resume their ministry. Now, there is a theme running through today's readings, and the Gospel readings form part of a trilogy, often referred to as God's Lost and Found Department. Three stories that speak of loss, of salvation, and ultimately of joy, ending, of course, with that seminal tale of love, faith, and redemption in the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, in Jesus' telling, the lost sheep and the lost coin for which the woman tore the house apart represent the lost individual. The wayward, wayward but valuable sinner lamented in Jeremiah and in Psalm 14, who returns to faith and for whom there is great rejoicing. These parables are clear and instructive, culminating in the redemption of the wayward son. But the lost coin is an interesting analogy in itself. Ten coins represented ten denarii, or about ten days' wages, in Palestine, a substantial amount of money in the first century. Now, Kenneth Bailey tells us that coinage, actual physical coins, were unusual for peasants in Palestine in the first century. They were mainly self-sufficient and relied on barter with their neighbours to get by. Therefore, the loss of one coin represented far more than the day's wages it represented. It was valuable. For me, therefore, the lost coin also represents faith. That tangible, precious and valuable word of God, which sustains, nourishes and feeds us. A real genuine faith in Christ. It's an incredible gift given to us by God, through which we gain the grace to carry his message to the whole world, and for which we, individually, would tear the house apart. But a word of caution, the world is merciless, and its demands are great. Whatever you give, the world will take ten times as much, and more, and this is where the second part of the greatest commandment becomes so important. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in this beginning, informing your identity in ministry, first love yourself. It's through self-care that we're best equipped to minister to others. Don't be like the criminal who hides his identity behind someone else. Be true to yourself and your own ministry. Be humble. Be aware of your own strengths and your own weaknesses. And in shaping your ministry, consider Luke's words in chapter 2 of Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four simple principles which are the foundation of a life well lived in Christ. For it's through prayer 
regular disciplined prayer that we come to know God more fully and to discern his will. Prayer will protect us and prayer will ground us. It's our safe space in which to listen for his voice. We're all here for a reason and God called us to this undertaking. Therefore, put your trust in God who will provide the tools you need to perform his task. And today, Timothy tells us, for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an instrument and an example to those who come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen.